What's happening, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Rapping with Reef Bum. I'm your host, Keith Brucklehammer. So today I welcome Claude Schumacher from Fauna Marin to the show. Claude is coming to us live from Germany, where it is, uh, let's see, uh, 1 a.m., uh, 1, 1 12 a.m. in the morning on Friday in Germany. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I... Yeah, I had a few coffees, so it's still early morning for me now. So I tried to sit. Um, you might have to run off to the bathroom if you had a lot of coffee there, huh? You know, I mean, yeah, you know. it was really necessary. So it's dark and snow, so you want only to go to bed because <laughs> freezing here. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate you uh, you staying up late for the uh, for the show. And I know by the uh, the looks of all the people that are in the live stream right now, I think everybody's going to be uh, really into the show and looking forward to it. I know I am. Before we start chatting, I want to thank. The uh, sponsors of the show, both Bulk Resupply and Ecotech Marine, really appreciate them supporting the show. And I also appreciate you folks out there tuning in and supporting the show as uh, per usual. Please hit that like button so more people can find the live stream. And uh, while you're at it, subscribe to the channel. Why not? So uh, typically, uh, like usual, I'll, I'll um, encourage anybody that wants to drop a question into the chat or a comment. I'll do my best to um, keep track of that stuff. I know there's a whole bunch of comments in there already. I, I, um, I haven't been reading them because Claude sent me like seven pictures like right before the show, and I had to, uh, I had to, <laughs> I, I had to put them, uh, I had to go and edit them real quickly to make sure they fit into the uh, the streaming software here, and hopefully there's not going to be any uh, any hiccups. Um, and yeah, Claude, you have to give me the uh, the cues in terms of which uh, slide to bring up when we uh, get to the uh, to that point. So um, a lot of folks tuning in from all over the place. I see uh, Germany is in the house um, besides uh, Claude, California. So, yeah, thanks, folks, for, uh, for tuning in. So, Claude, um, can you just give us a brief background of yourself? I know um, somebody told me that you used to own a coral farm for many years and an ICP company. Yeah, so I started in this... Um... So for the U.S. guys, so the German knows me, and so that's usually which follow us here. But uh, for the guys, I'm the owner from Fauna Marine, which was uh, founded 2001, and I started my career in uh, 1984 in Hulsale, which was one of the first wholesales in Germany and in Europe about for um, reef life. So that was mainly fish and some corals from Indonesia. Uh, cleaning uh, millions of square miles of glass, so that was my work, and uh, cleaning skimmers, and uh, cle so I think the first years I only clean anything, and uh, pack out uh, soft covers, and uh, we were sometimes, about this time, we were very happy to have a colorful Soantos or Palitoa, so there was no way of uh, colorful um, SPS or big LPS or something like that, and uh, the knowledge was very poor, um, mostly we said when the first SPS coming, we said put them in, in the tanks with the green hair algae because they have the best water quality. <laughs> and uh, we're really wondering why they get white, why they get white the next two days or three days. And we're wondering, so what's happened with this course? Why they get white? We don't know that from the soft <laughs> course. <laughs> um, I had the good luck to uh, meet and work with uh, Mr. Wilkins, which was uh, one of the godfathers of... Uh, modern reef keeping during the, that days and uh, the pioneers definitely for worldwide so they're writing book and i was a uh, i was uh, 15 16 years old so um 
I was very passionate and worked to them for all that years now till today. And like I say, 2001, I, I make my own company, uh, creating products and starting a core farm, which we have today, which is around uh, six, at the moment they had the six, 7,000 gallons. And we breed mainly SPS and high-end SPS, mostly sticks and acros and, and that stuff. Some LPS and some softies surely also for the market here. So it's one of the oldest. And um, in the 19th, I was in Bali. I was in the Philippines, making building up export station. We write standards for for the for the Mac, and we bring in the technology how to breed corals to Bali and to Indonesia. That after that they build up the farms, and this is a little bit my my history about it. So. Uh, Next time, the next two three years, I'm then around forty years in this business. So, wow, wow. yeah. A uh, couple of quick questions from some viewers, and I, this is an interesting question. Guancra Reef Keeping question is fauna. Is it fauna pronounced fauna marine or fauna marine? As you, um, is there is it either? It's a the the real name is without the e, but you can talk it the fauna marine. So is that how you, is that how I should pronounce it? Fauna marine. Yeah. Okay. Fauna. All right. So the question is: Is fauna marine connected to tropic marine we are good friends yes you're good friends but you're not connected no gotcha. i do my own products and uh we we know them since many many years because the, uh, the 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 pre-owner of uh, tropic marine comes also from switzerland like me and uh i i know him i think since also 30 years and now they have a new owner uh no we do our own but we are good friends and uh, there's no uh, trouble or something like that behind um, very respectful um, colleagues. Somebody's got, um, Bert Minshew's got a question about your um, some fish food, but why don't you just, Claude, give us a, a brief overview in terms of what you guys have in terms of products at this point and services. Um, yeah, we do three things. So we make products for modern reef keeping. The main thing is a, a care system for reef tanks, which cause spalling light. In this case, we're a market leader in, in many European countries about the products uh, and this type of system because one of the oldest one and it's um, it's a specified three-part solution where you can adjust your trace elements uh, independently on your reef tank so it's not a ready solution it's not a high concentrated solution because this will create some issues which we talk later about when we talk about the lab and you can work with created for um, SBS reef keeping, so for SBS tanks, to make it for a long time a very stable situation because um, I hate uh, calcium reactors. I hate them. You hate calcium I, reactors. I, 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 hate, I hate them. I, I hate this noise and the bubble going through a pump so I can throw them out of the window. <laughs> and um, when they starting uh, to creating calcium reactors or way before, we had to take care of our reef tanks. And um, in 1995, I built a 10,000 gallon reef tank and uh, we had nothing, you know, there was no, no calcium reactor in this size. So we, we put calcium chloride and, and the sodium carbonate uh, in 25 kilo bags in this reef tank so that we can push it up. And uh, calc water was at this time uh, modern, but uh, there was nothing which, which I liked or which gives the result I wanted to the, uh, to to have the sticks in this color and like planted uh, before. It's that type of system, which is a modern version of the balling method, which was um, one, two years before 
published. And um, my problem with that was that that it was a theoretical view on what happens with two chemicals. And in that time, I, because I was uh, very often diving and I tell them, hey, this has nothing to do with the real life in aquarium where we add uh, fish food, where we add rocks, where we add more elements and nutrients in the reef tank as only these two chemicals. And that's why I decided to make it... Uh, modern, more easy, that the light coming from easy using. So uh, I changed the recipe, I changed uh, the way how to dose it and also the way um, how to mix it um, instead of this typical bulling method. And uh, the, the fence behind was uh, it is difficult to, to get 78.4 grams. So if you let it stay, the chemicals, they get wet. So you have more water in and you cannot control it properly. And that's why I change it and make a new re new recipe. And because um, I was impressed of the idea, I used the name. So it was not to make it bad. It was to make it good and, and to respect it for the work what uh, Mr. Balling made about this, this sense about with working with trace elements and, and the macro elements. But I thought I go the practical way. And for me, it was too theoretical. And that's why I, I do this primary care then for us and for my tanks, which I had at this time. So, so in, in terms of what you're talking about, the, the, the balling uh, method is... Um, do you guys have a, a multiple part, a two part type of uh, solution in terms of calcium and, and uh, alkalinity uh, supplementation? Is that, um, you know, something yeah, that you guys have in terms of formulating? Yeah, we work, we work with a three part one, which is not always need the three part, it's the magnesium part. Uh, but we have independently those trace element solutions, which, uh, which stabilize the solutions and um, do not creating um, an an ionic imbalance in this solution. So to keep it to keep it stable and to get some elements inside the reef tank which we need for the biology. So we never look only on the cores. We look on the biology and on the biofilms which creating a healthy environmental for the cores, which was always necessary. Uh, this I learned very fast from from my divings. Um, that corals interact with uh, bacteria and interact with the biofilms inside the reef and with sponges and all the other animals. And that was the sense behind to create that. And on this base coming all the other products then later. So um, I think this is a good segue to, uh, to talk about this uh, question from, from a viewer reached out to me, Andy, <clears throat> also known as Alexa Inverts. And um, he wanted me to ask you this question. He said... Um, that your hypothesis is that keeping trace elements in balance is the best way to optimize coral immunity so they can resist bacterial pathogens like Arcobacter. Can can you explain that, uh, Claude? Okay, it's very simple. Um, the most the theory today and the most thinking about today is that the people looking on the sea, though so they they there was. Um, there were some labs around, they're telling, we detect the water from Hawaii or from Australia, have a look how is there the water chemistry, and that that is what we put in the reef tank. The problem is that this is the sea, and on the other side is an aquarium. And the difference is very simple. In the sea, they have a, they have a, a very good water, very low nutrients, absolutely no, no in everything, and they have a lot of food. In our aquarium, it's like... Uh, to live in a ghetto so we have a bad air and nothing to eat and we turn the shit around so that's <laughs> something completely different 
the, the point is a cover and the recipes which was made in 84 and the 90s and which the most products still today using that type of, of recipes are made from the idea that they check the skeleton, what is inside, and that they use then to give the cores, the bacteria, uh, uh, the, the, the trace elements. But the cores living with bacteria outside, and they need for their for the body and for protection to, to, to create antiparasitics or to, to work uh, with antioxidants simulations to create colorations and to, to create uh, UV protection. They need these type of elements together with protein and fats. And with the molecules, they're creating antiparasitic um, you uh, you broke up there. You, you said to protect themselves. You said that they can and they can not in. You uh, you broke up there. You said they they create antiparasitic. As one example, okay. yes. Also others. So there's a bunch of different type of molecules which which uh, cores creating or and their bacteria which living on the microbiome on the body to make a protection against too many light, against uh, parasitic infections, like we do. We do the same. Every plant do that. That's that's really nothing new. Um, one sample is uh, a sulfur together with fluorine. So with, they, they create a molecule with fluorine and sulfur, which is the base of them, together to fight against specific bacteria. And if fluorine is low and sulfur is low, they cannot increase that element to produce the molecules and weapons against the bacteria. So uh, there's not, uh, there's not a lot. So Andy told me that, <clears throat> I, I guess you guys report out fluorine in, uh, in your ICP test, but there's not a lot of other ICP companies out there that do report fluorine according to, uh, what I've been uh, yeah. told. So that's what, yeah, that, the colleagues, from ATI do that also, and I think ICP analysis had also fluorine on the list. Okay. In, in my knowledge. So that's that's yeah. a critical uh, element then in your uh, in your view. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Because fluorine, um, you know, every, everybody knows that uh, every reefer, which is a little bit more in, knows that to stabilize to to stabilize the water quality, you need the right salinity, magnesium, stabilize calcium, and carbonate. So, but the focus is only on that, and it's not understanding that fluorine, bromine, and iodine has the same relation together. So, if fluorine is not okay, you cannot stabilize iodine. If you cannot stabilize iodine, you have issues with light. So, the most reason for dinoflagellates in cyanos is that you have low, low level or changing level of fluorine and iodine. If you stabilize that, you don't have these issues. It's very simple. So iodine dosing can help in terms of dinos if um, if that if that's possible uh, you know way it's to remedy one, it's one way to yeah, do it. Yeah, it's it's one part of the missing elements. It could be in 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 this case of uh, dinos, it's the highlighting and the low levels of elements of molybdenum fluorine, very often zinc or iodine, sometimes bromine, which needs the core to protect from the highlighting. That's, that's the same, you know, when you have a plant and you put them in, in the room and you put them too late out in the sun, they were burning by the sun because she had not the time to 
When you put it in spring, it's not a problem. So the sun becomes stronger, stronger. You give fertilizer and the, and the plant can be strengthened up against the sunshine. If you let it in, so she has no power due to, to less light. You put it out, you give a lot of light and not fertilize it, then the plant is burning. So this is not a mistake from the sun. It's not a mistake from the plant. It's yours because you don't give her anything that she can protect from the sun. And that's the same for the cords. In nature, they have this all the time, absolutely stable and absolutely in relation. And they get all the nutrients and the elements by food because they eat the whole day. So can, can people um, get away with doing water changes with whatever salt they're using to replenish those trace elements? Or are you a, a firm believer in that not only should you be doing water changes, but you should also be dosing you know, miners and trace elements. Uh, it has nothing to do with, with believing. You cannot replenish um, elements when you do a 10% water change. This is math. This is very simple. You cannot do that. But what you can do is that you can use it, the water change, as an export of unwanted molecules, elements, or organic compounds. And these organic compounds is our, a problem for the reef tank because it created scamable things. So this, with these molecules, uh, the organic compounds, what we have inside the, the yellowing water, that bringing elements and molecules down and making not bioavailable. available. So the skimmer take it out or it is not available for the cores like organic phosphate or, or organic nitrogen sources. And that's why they have to be out. And in this case, a good salt is the most important thing. It's like a tire of a car. And it helps to stabilize the system, definitely. But you need adding trace elements. So when I had uh, um, Mike Paletta on and Sanjay on on last week, we talked a lot about you know RTN and STN and yeah. um, all the different um, you know types of remedies in terms of trying to to um, you know stop the uh, that that kind of um, thing from happening to a tank. You know, and and we talked about using Cipro. And uh, I talked about oxalinic acid because um, I, I used that uh, recently on one of my tanks as, as um, per a recommendation from Chris Meckley at ACA Aquaculture. And, and I'm going to have him on actually next week. We'll probably be talking a lot more about that as, uh, as well. What, um, what do you, um, you know, find is effective in terms of that sort of uh, disease in, in corals in terms of the RTN and STN and how to, uh, how to stop that? I mean... Do you guys have like a, in the United States here, we have the aquabiomics, which is a testing service, allow us to kind of see what kind of uh, bacteria that we are, are dealing with. Do you guys have something similar? I just asked you like three different questions in one. Uh... <laughs> we don't have, we don't have this. I can uh, look for this in some uh, context from university. I can sometimes let check something, but what I must say is the more problem of this is that we have now a lot of numbers of uh, bacteria, but we didn't know which effect they have in real because we find a lot of different bacteria in a lot of reef tanks. And that means not that they have an effect at the moment. So I focus more uh, to strengthen up the corals that they, that they are strong and they can survive and they can fight against the bacteria. This type of bacteria is usually what we find is way more vibriobacteria, different vibriotypes as acrobacteria. Uh, we didn't find them as that much as it. I thought it should be like uh, when I follow that what happens in the States. In Europe, we are not allowed to use antibiotics. It's extremely difficult to come to them. They are completely forbidden. For 
to fight against this type of bacteria and this type of product. So, and that's why we focus to prevent this, these actions in front. So that's also why we're creating a forecast and uh, tell the people not to buy freshly imported cores, with, which, which are stressed, which are maybe not good. So put them in quarantine, let them sit for six, eight weeks, and then you can see it very often. Sometimes, um, and these problems we have also here, the problems in the reef tank are so strong that you need antibiotics. And then you can only pray here in Europe that you find an, uh, that you find a wet which has understanding and to give you then the material you need. But uh, this is not that easy like it is in the States. So it's very difficult for us. Are, are you guys finding more, more cases uh, the last few years of RTN, STN with, um, you know, established uh, SPS dominant types of tanks? I know Mike has talked about this a lot. It just seems like it's, it's more, you know, years ago, this wasn't as much of an issue as it seems to be more recently with, um, mm. with veteran reef keepers here in the U.S. If you have an ICP like Lab was, was we had, and you had the possibilities to get data from many, many different countries. So actually we do about uh, between 250 and 350 tests a day. And that's since now over 10 years. So I have my um, data is about 120, 150,000 different tests. You can see that the amount of uh, problems in reef tanks is country specific. So we had uh, a sample in, in UK, we have way more um, dinoflagellates issues as we have in Germany, a sample. Yeah. Uh, and in Spain, there are different, uh, more different issues as in France or in the US. And no, I cannot say that, even not in Germany. The reason is that I know that uh, the mainly cells, salts and primary care system take care of these issues and had another recipe as salts and other care system which are used in other countries. And we know exactly why this is a problem. Um, you, must see, you, you must see one thing. If you produce uh, products nowadays um, and you don't buy it from China, so you produce it in US or you produce it here, you have to take care of the health of your workers. So, and if you work with chemicals like fluorine, they're very dangerous. You have to spend a lot of money to do all the protection that nobody getting hurt about the dusts. And that makes the cost extremely high. So if you want to work with halogens like iodine, bromine and fluorine, you have to invest that money. So and it's very simple to lower the cost if you let let them out. So lithium is a very expensive, zinc is very expensive. So if you lower the levels in the salt, you can sell it cheap, but the customer then later has the problems because right. they have not enough of these elements in and nobody, like you say, not many people checking fluorine. So this is not on the list. So why should I do that in the salt? Some companies do. There are a lot of companies, great companies on the market in the US, in Germany. They did this. They know it and they did it. But they are not the cheapest one. And these guys are cheaper one, doing spending a lot of money marketing and stuff. Very often you can find in these countries where they are the main sellers, you have specific issues which you can go back to the missing elements. Overall, not not uh, on a single tank, but overall you can see that. And as as one example, for all the ICP tests in UK, there's only 38% getting the right iodine level. In Germany, we are on 72% of all ICP tests which have the right iodine level. Yeah, why, why is that? I mean, it seems like the majority of the ICP tests that I send out, I never get any iodine, you know, coming back. You know, it's always uh, zero. And, um, you know, I think I had been dosing it maybe like, um, you know, one time per day 
in terms of what I needed to do um, to my, my systems. So, um, but now I've started dosing it 24 seven. And I, I think when I, after I started doing that, I didn't see it show up on a test. Is, is that just something that corals just, uh, consume so quickly that that's why we typically don't see, uh, or not typically, but a lot of us don't see readings for uh, iodide. Iodine is, is, um, quite stable. If your fluorine level is on a specific, uh, um, uh, way, uh, on a specific level then iodine is quite um, okay, but it needs to be dosed. It depending on your light, it depending on your filtration, so it depending on the skinner, skimmer and on the animals which you have inside the bioload. It's, it's uh, without to see the reef tank, without to see all the other levels, it's, it's not to say if you need a little bit more and less, but it's not that you can say every tank needs, let me say, 10 micrograms a week. It right. could be one, 20. Uh, to detect iodine in ICP is not that easy. So that's something uh, to get correct levels. Um, I would say there are not many companies uh, in the world able to get the right iodine level in the ICP. It took us three, four weeks, uh, three, four years to get it on that point like we want to have it. So it was really not easy. And every other company like ATI, which which are uh, respectful colleagues, they know that meanwhile also how to do it. But it's not every every can every company can do that. Um, question from Ghouls. Does Claude think a calcium reactor provide enough um, trace elements? Yes, as long as you have a natural... Um, how is the, um, the name for it for the core of artificial you uh you, you broke need to up, add trace you, elements then you, you broke you broke up uh, there claude what, what did you um you just repeat that if you have if you use as material uh, coral gravel from real corals then you have a lot of trace elements which go back to the to the reef tank so that's quite good um but nowadays it's very difficult to get them so you can you use artificial materials then you then you need some specific elements to those uh, the other problem is that this uh, these materials in calcium reactors causing a lot of precipitations due to this chemical way that means that the precipitations then when fall out take a sink of elements together so for this we're creating a product uh, which calls multi-elements which is made for that type of calcium reactors to give the trace elements and, and some nutrients and some vitamins back to the reef tank then. A um, couple other comments here from the viewers. Um, Ghouls, dead corals useful? Question mark. I would say the answer is yes to, uh, to that question in terms of um, crushing the uh, coral skeletons up. Um, NSB Reese, what about phosphate and ICP? My test read near zero, but my ICP always comes back with way more than what I tested. Yeah, that's that's also very simple. Um, if you like, um, visit our homepage on phonomarine.de or .com, and there's a knowledge base where it's exactly explained the different type of testing and the different type of phosphates. So if you want to go in the deep, you can read it there. Um, the ICP tested the phosphorus, so the element, which is everything, and your test taking the orthophosphate, which is a part of the phosphate. 
um, in your reef tank and the one is organic, the other one is the inorganic part, when we say it simply. And that means if you have a difference between that two, it could be a sign that you have too, too many organics in your reef tank inside, which creating then issues in cyanobacteria. Well, uh, what, you know, so uh, let's say you're getting like uh, ICPs coming back zero in terms of phosphate and you're dosing a lot of phosphate to try to elevate that. But you've got, um, you know, you're you're grinning like that. So what you, that, that would not be something you would possibly do in terms of, um, you know, if you've got a zero phosphate, I mean, the algae in that tank could be absorbing that phosphate you're putting in there, right? Mm, yes, because um, this is the phosphate zero is a modern situation so we have no more live rocks we have artificial rocks we use ceramics and they work like a phosphate uh, remover so you the, the problem is on phosphate you can only dose phosphate nitrogen you can dose in different forms but phosphate you dose is phosphate and the problem is that it goes directly on the surface if you take a standard, let me say a 260 gallon reef tank and you put the rocks inside and you have a massive surface, which is, which is big like a, like a football field. And in this football field, you doze all the time and it sucks and it sucks and it sucks and you, you detect zero and zero and zero and it changed nothing. And half a year later, you make a test and then you have 2.0 phosphate. <laughs> no, because then it comes back. So, it leaches and, back uh, out. It comes back, definitely. What you put in, it comes back. That's, that's a rule you can follow 100%. That means the dosing of phosphate is sometimes necessary, but it has to be very, very low. Adding fish, give the right food that you first produce particulary phosphate, it goes back in the water very fast and it creates not that type of depot effect, which brings you then later the old tank syndrome. Because this is the old tank syndrome later than with problem with cyanobacteria, green hair algaes. You, you make it in the front by dosing too much nutrients inside. That's really, that's absolutely the same like over fertilizer plant. You can do that only one time. The plant grows for six weeks, then they die. And that's the same in reef tank. The only difference is it takes a little bit longer. Because you have a skimmer and more more surface. That's that's the only difference. That's exactly the same. So getting a zero result back in the uh, ICP test for phosphate and um, dosing a lot of phosphate to, to goose that number up is, is what I'm hearing is not the best idea to uh, no, try to like you have, Yeah, you have to look on your reef tank, you know. The, when you have a phosphate zero reading, that's only one point. It says nothing about, it says a little bit, it's an information, but first I have to look in the reef tank. I need to dose phosphate. Did, if you, the cores have a problem, then maybe. Right, so are, are you, you, you cut out a little bit there. Did, um, did you uh, basically say, look, look at your tank, look at the corals and see if, uh, you know, if, they're help, if they're not faded or whatnot? Then... Yeah, follow the rule, corals never lie. <laughs> go to the corals, look on them. If they're healthy and the ICP shows zero, something happens. But corals never lie. ICP can lie due to technical issues, to do whatever, but not corals. If you don't know, then search a supporter. This is what we do with certification of experienced people. We certify them, we teach them what it means on ICP. And uh, we, we will just start it in the U.S. In, in the next few weeks with, with people which we 
to training since a few and ask them that they have a look over the whole test. Um, a couple more questions. And, you know, the, the point I was going to make is like if you've got uh, cyano in your tank or you've got some hair algae in your tank and you're getting zero phosphate readings, you've got phosphate in the tank. I mean, it's just getting sucked up by the algae, no? It is on the surface, yes. Yeah. But um, it means not that it's not available. The, the point is how I can make it available or how I can go. If you have green hair algaes or algaes at all, you have a disbalance between the between the phosphate and the nitrates or the nitrogen. If you bring that level back to 1 to 100, there was one question, which is the best one. So I recommend about 0,02 phosphate to 2 to 3 milligrams of nitrate or 0,04 to 4 to 5 nitrates. You will not find any reef tank which has huge issues which follow this relation. So you're uh, like 100 to 1 nitrate to phosphate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, Mike, uh, uh, H-Rats Reef, what types of food add more phosphate, pellets or frozen? Um, a good phosphate source is a product uh, which use, I think, Polyblap has this. Um, Reefroids? Reefroids is sample. It's a very good, uh, they have a lot of phosphates inside, which can help in this case better than uh, adding um, especially uh, a phosphate solution. Sometimes this is better for the longer time. A, a good solution is um, is frozen food, uh, lobster eggs. Not dosing a lot, but dosing all the time a little bit. They have a, a good relation between uh, nitrogen, fatty acids, and phosphate. And um, on the other side, on when when we look on our product, it is um, it is the dust in our case. That's a little bit the same, like the polyblab stuff, a little bit different. Uh, um, make it so with that you can create a little bit phosphate into the water. And in this case, for the course, it is better than dosing only. The dosing only is when you have a real limitation, then you dose, but not when you detect only zero for uh for nutrient control what do you uh what do you advocate do you like uh do you recommend folks use macroalgae do you um what's your uh what's your recommendation for besides protein skimming a good skimmer and the relation of the water of the elements inside if you take if you have a good skimmer and normal lighting and 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 stock it in a normal feeding and you take care of your parameters, you will not have these problems. Because to that corals can grow or the biology can use that elements, they need other elements to creating the molecules. If you don't give them, they cannot do it, so the nutrients level raises up. One, the main, the main thing to reduce phosphate is a good food which have enough fatty acids. Fatty acids are the key role for the success in a reef tank. So that's why we're creating product like Mines, which is high, high rich and very, very quality good, uh, good quality fatty acid solutions. And they help to reduce the nutrients level in the reef tank. Every other things you do, you can do that, but it does not uh, remove the problems in the reef tank what you have. It, it's, that's only another thing. A phosphate, re uh, um, uh, um, phosphate adsorbers can be very good if you have a problem. 
then you work with the phosphate remover, but it's better to remove them because they take elements out, right. they get some elements in, and they block the skimmers very often. So um, if in an acute situation, you can use them. But for a long time, make a diagnosis. What is my situation? How can I change the food and the quality of salt and the, and the stuff what I use? And there you need less, but better quality. So at the end, you save a lot of money um, if you do it that way. Andrew Bowman is asking, uh, does Claude do water changes? So is that would that be part of the routine in terms of keeping nutrients in check, in terms of doing yes. water changes? I recommend water change, a, a very simple thing. First, I cannot uh, add something which water change. But one time a week to take 15, 20 minutes time for your reef tank. Suck off some bad areas which are not good flow, take out a little bit detritus, change the water, clean the skimmer, clean the pumps. This is something which you can do and it will help you definitely over the time. You, when you use a good salt, technically you don't need but practically, when you run a coral farm, and every coral farmer will, will tell you that, nobody don't do water change from the coral farmer. So the, the professionals do that, and the private people say, no, no, we will not do that. So we are not stupid. We have a lot of money there. We know why we did it. <laughs> what about the use of, uh, I've, I've talked a lot about this with guests on the show, um, dosing bacteria to help uh, control nu nutrients. What, what are your thoughts on using bacteria to help um, keep nitrates and phosphates in check? I love bacterias from the right time. When I have a problem, then I give them. The dosing all the time the bacteria is absolutely senseless. We have not the right bacteria for that. And it's not the way to keep all the bacteria out. I never understand why the people don't ask him what happens with the bacteria when we dose them in the reef tank. So every company also is live bacteria. So that means when you put them in the reef tank, they should survive and they should grow. But on the bottle, it stated you have to dose every two weeks. So what's wrong? <laughs> the, the, the point is that the bacteria usually cannot survive in the reef tank because depending on the nutrient level, depending on the element level, we have different type of bacteria groups. It is a very complex situation. The bacteria, what we add, they are really good to products. I will not say they are bad. But when you have an acute issues, they can help. That's like medicine, like an aspirin. So, and there's also the word, first you drink and then you take the aspirin. To take them before and then drinking is a bad idea. Try it out. <laughs> and do the same with the bacteria. It's very simple. Have them, use them for the start. If you have an issue, they can help to bring the, the tank back. But it's a stupid idea to dose it all the time. Why, why it should? Interesting. Yeah, no, I think there's um, there's not a lot of scientific uh, data out there right now to help support that hypothesis in terms of dosing bacteria. But there's a lot of people, including myself, I've um, I've dosed bacteria on a regular basis. Just uh, you know, to, what? what's that? Why you do that? <laughs> well, there was three re three reasons, Claude. I uh, I've been dosing bacteria. One is to, uh, you know, I, I used to use uh, macroalgae, Kato, and so um, I wanted to get rid of that. And so I thought that, um, you know, dosing bacteria can help in terms of reducing, you know, help control some nitrates and phosphates. Um, you know, the, the other is that um, uh, my understanding is that coral do consume bacteria as a, uh, as a food. So, um, but I guess the question is, which, which bacteria do they consume? 
<laughs> That's the point. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there, uh, there was a third reason, but it is uh, slipping my, uh, my mind at this point in time. But, uh, those were, those were two top of mind that, uh, that I could think about in terms of dosing bacteria. Um, oh yeah. The third would be, um, for, uh, if you had, um, I think I was, I was thinking about for, uh, for dinoflagellates in terms of, you know, increasing the, uh, the, the biodiversity in case you, uh, you wanted to kind of prevent, uh, dinoflagellates. Is that the third reason? I, I might be wrong on that, but, um, so yeah, there, there, I guess there, you know, there are some folks out there that, um, that, well, okay. I think the third reason is I, I retract my last statement. <laughs> I think the third reason is, is to, uh, you know, if you want to be able to dose the good guy bacteria, then maybe that'll um, help keep the bad guy bacteria from multiplying. Again, this is not something that I have any data on to help uh, support my reasons, rationale for dosing bacteria. But this is like anecdotal evidence that um, that I have kind of grabbed onto. So, and I tell you that there is uh, data on the market and it shows exactly that... Uh, that what we think about using nitrobacter, nitrococcus, something like that, and this is uh, the key in our reef tanks. This is a miss. We have we we have many different type of bacteria, and they working completely different f as that what we read 10, 15 years ago, and which was telling till today. There are good bacteria products on the market definitely today, uh, with a lot of different ones which which can help. In a reef tank, which can help against the smell, which can help against uh, particles inside or against other illnesses. We have a prebiotica, which can help the fishes and the corals to survive. Um, there is um, there's some uh, pooper uh, special bacteria, which which seems that they have um, they have a benefit in a reef tank, definitely. But it is not uh, like we say, uh, I push a bacteria dosing in and then I push the bad bacteria out because for this we have to understand what is a bad, what is a good, uh, what is a good bacteria. Um, let me explain one thing. The most illness of fishes creating due to vibrio. So when we checked this the last years and, and we did this in our university there, we find so very often vibrio. And the reason why vibrio was strong because the, the counterpart of flower bacteria, the other one who controls this type of bacteria was low. And they was low because the, the situation in the reef tank was not good or in the fish was not good. So, and if you provide these elements and we provide these molecules for the reef tank, then the fish is getting healthy back. You can help with bacteria, but this is not uh, um, this is not all, or this is not the key at the end. It's a good product when you need it, like aspirin. When you have a headache, it's product but not before i see um i see a couple of specific questions about some of your other products like dino x and um acarating flatworm x um but let's before we get to those questions let's uh you you uh you did send me some uh some slides and i think this has to do with the question that mike paletta wanted me to ask you and um you know, so what Mike said was he said that uh you guys are showing the ratios between some trace elements to provide Reef keepers with additional insights. For instance, Mike said that if you have too high bromine and too high iodine, your corals may be turning brown even though your phosphate levels are low. So if trace level X is at this amount, but trace level X also interacts with trace level Y and trace element Z, and these have to be in balance, 
or else this will happen. So you're taking things to the next step, really, with the ICP analysis. And, and um, he said that would be an interesting question to, uh, to ask you. And I think that's related to the, uh, to, the, to the data that you passed along to me. Or is that not right? Okay. But he's uh, talking about yes, ratio. Right. He's, he's talking about ratios between trace elements and how that's something that you guys are really. Um, uh, could you show? Yeah, could you maybe show? Um, let me look which one we had. Um, that was the relations. Um, yeah, you, you sent three uh, relations: one, two, and three. Yeah, one. Just find which one we have. We choose. Um, where is the list now? I have to look for this, which one it was of the relations. I'll find it. Um, there was two parts of relations. This one is salinity line on it, and the other one is dynamic elements. I cannot. I got one here that. Um... Give me the relation. Give me the the relations too, please. Okay, I got it up. Okay. Um, that what we that what we write in in the ICP and um, the all the data about the different elements. Uh, no, I need the other one. I need with uh, which is marked dynamic elements. Yeah, it's it's, it's common. Okay, uh, great. So, yeah. um, this data what I put together is the experience of the last um, yeah since we know it. Let me say the last ten years on ICP data, and. Uh, we are one of the only companies in the world which have the ICP, a core farm, and the pro producing of products in one company. So we do every day about 10, 15 tests in our core farm. And immediately I see what happens when we do changes and I can find out, oh, I have problems there. So that the data is coming from. They're coming from practical work. And um, what we do here is that I'm not the guy who go to the machine and then go to the cores. So, because I have a team which working on the machines and their work is to get the best results and the exact precision and uh, 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 right results on the machines. And I'm the guy who do the interpretation. Yep. So we had very many fights here when they told me this is the fluorine level. I go up, I look at the cores and say, no, that's not wrong. And then we have to fight. I come with my feelings and my experience. They come with data. So, and at the end, I say, cores don't lie. So, they must something wrong. Then we search and then we find the mistake causing due to, you know, the matrix, the machines, and you have to find out something. Here's a level. And over the years, we, we find closer and closer together that feeling and data could be the same. And this is the result. That's why I write all about these elements and the nutrients. What you see here are the five most important elements and, and the trace elements, not the micro and not the halogens and not the, the, the macro elements. Um, it's zinc, vanadium, copper, nickel, and molybdenum. If you put them here, the blue line is the line which is the optimum effect. This could be on on a level, let, let me say, 5 micrograms, so zinc, vanadium, copper, nickel as 5 micrograms, molybdenum at 12 to 15. It could be, but also on 10, it could be also on 20. That's no matter. The problem is, if you have copper becoming to be toxic when, when copper is high, on 20, all others are zero. If all others, like zinc, vanadium, nickel, is on 20, 
then nothing is toxic. Then the corals can use it and can put up their colors, can put up their protection. It does not matter if it's low or high. It only matters that's in relation. And that's why it is so important. Yeah. And this, this, this relations, what the corals get, that's their problem. And that's the same what we have, our human nature. We can work with low air pressure. That's not a problem. We can go up to, to, to 10,000 feet. We can breathe still. But what we cannot do is we cannot change the chemical composition of our air, what we breathe. A little bit more oxygen, a little bit more nitrogen, and we are dead. There's way less mm. in change there as we have to change in, in, the, uh, in the composition as we have in the ratio. And that's the same on the cores. So that's why the relations are so important. And all the reef tanks, which, which have these really, really nice, colorful, very strong growing cores with no problems with there, you can check their ICP. You see automatically where, how the relation is in the different things. The technical point of view is sometimes it You have, but the corals grow, and that means only that that what you add in the tank will be take out of the corals and of the biofilms, and there is no depot in the water, which is not necessary. In in nature, is also very low, but they get enough food. And if you take your your bottle with with fish food and you read behind what is in, you see that a lot of trace elements are in the food, are in the timia, in mice, or in flake food. This you put also in the reef tank by milligrams, which is a thousand times more as I want by by liter of water. So how the trace elements fertilizer for them, same as fertilizer for plants. How well, how, how do um, how do these ratios get out of whack? I mean, what's what's some some things that could uh, cause these uh, trace elements to you know? Okay, as long as the salinity line. Uh, uh, when we go next salinity line, this is relations one. Okay. If you can add this picture, we do our ICP in this case that the, f the first what has to be stable is on top, and this is the salinity. Am I showing the right uh, chart? I'm not sure I'm showing the right chart here. I see, I see still the dynamic elements. And uh, the chart was relations one. Yeah, I'm showing relations no. one. Yeah, no, the other one. You, sh I, you should have another one. This, I got relations, this is the left I got side relations uh, three. I need relations one. I might have missed that one. Um, let me see. Let me just check something here. Um, okay, no, doesn't matter. I can explain. Yeah, go ahead. Explain. Um, when we have a thirty-five, when we have a thirty-five psu salinity, the carbonate, the magnesium, the calcium, the strontium, and the potassium has to be in line. If these elements are in line, the water is very stable. So you don't losing a lot of magnesium, calcium, and the corals can start to growing because it's perfect in the middle. This could be parameters like 35 PSU, 7.5 carbonate, carbonate hardness or alkalinity, about uh, 1300 magnesium, about 440 calcium, about 8 to 9 strontium, and about 40 to 20 potassium. If you have these levels in line, the water is very stable. 
After that, you check that your halogens are in. So means iron, fluorine, bromine, and boron, if you use that in this group. And then when this is stable, you go to the nutrients. And if the nutrients stable, then you can control the trace elements. It goes from the top down. And that's, that is what is important. Today, people read an ICP. They see, oh, I'm missing zinc. Then they argue about arsenic, about zinc, about nickel, but they don't see that the, that the salinity is completely wrong. And then they try to fix it on the trace element base, but this cannot work. You have to first, you have to fix it on the top, on the macro elements, and then you go down to the trace elements. Interesting. So, yeah, you're kind of like, uh, if, if the salinity is up and you're throwing a lot of other stuff out of whack, including, um, you know, nitrates and phosphates, or those things are out of whack, then that can cause uh, other issues, kind of a um, cascading effect. Yeah, because yeah, you must, we do that not for the coral. We do that for the biology. We have a huge surface, which is full of bacteria, which is way bigger than we thought. We see the 100-gallon reef tank. But if you make it flat, the surface of all the rocks and sand, you make it flat like, like for bacteria, then we have, we have the space of a tennis court or of a, of a football field. And on this football field, we have a few, we have a few uh, corals sitting in. That's like a farmer planting only five corns on the field and put all the fertilizer <laughs> on it. And so that's, that's exactly the same what we do. We have to deal with the bacteria, with the biology, and the biology which is on the corals. The corals then, they grow automatically. Claude, has reef keeping always been this complicated? Yeah, that's my job. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, it is very simple. You only need a good, you need a good ICP. Sometimes you need, uh, you can work with a with different thing. You have a check. You can do it singly nowadays, and then you go step by step there. So uh, Andy's asking, when you get results back from your ICP company, do you provide instructions on how to get your ratios corrected? Absolutely. You can find it on uh, AD sites, and uh, we have uh, I trained ICP supporters, which you can choose on the site. So maybe you put now these, because um, I can I can show you there. That was I think um, forecast. No, not the forecast. The re, um, lab. Yeah, first the lab exactly. I, I don't see it. Which one it is? Lab one. Yes. So, um, yeah, we, still, we have a little bit time delay here. On yeah, it's YouTube. about 20, 20 seconds or so. Yeah, it doesn't matter. So if you look on the um, ICP uh, lab site, you can see on the right side um, over the, the red start button, please select an advisor. So that, that what we do in that we which have a long reefing experience, and we, we teach them to, to do the correct interpretation of an ICP, what that means always the ratio, so that our customers, they can choose um, an advisor, which is mostly their, their shop or people they know, and people which know their reef tank. So, and this is what we call IQ Reef, an intelligence ICP or ICP 2.0. It is not that we connect an ICP with uh, with the dosing pump, because this is only stupid. 
What we need is we need the experience and we need the right diagnosis of an issue. And then we provide it with the experience, with the feeling for a reef tank, with the data what we have. And then you can choose the right decision and can advise the people what they what they do and on which point in an ICP they look for. These data what we provide are made uh, by an artificial intelligence and which using the data from all the tests before the last two years or three years what we have and so your your icp test is not only your own one it is tests it is uh, compared against all the tests which is made by the day so we we know exactly if there is a mistake inside or um there's another thing what we do here if you do more than five times a test we know which parameter we have to accept on your water. If it's over, the, if it's too much or too high, the system automatically gives that to one of our workers and our ladies in the lab that they can check if the value is correctly, if not correctly, before they give it out to the customer. So we have the, the, the quality control of the machines is way better going in the last two, three years since we developed these artificial intelligence into the lab. And uh, this created then also the forecast, which where we can show today what happens in the reef in the future. So you can act and not only reacting after. Gotcha. Interesting. So I, so what's when you get results? Yeah, that's that's exactly. So um, everybody can read it, but the reading is one side that we do it. The other side is to to creating. Um, a networking of advisors which have which have the knowledge and which get all the data from all the tests. So we give these advisors way more information as it usually stays on an on a lab account because this is way too much if you have 100, 120, 150 different parameters. Nobody understand it if it's not their job. So and we bring it together with simpling and giving and giving that data to the advisors and they know then what they have to do it. Which relation is important? Which one you start first? And not only buying elements and putting them in the reef tank. No, what is what is the diagnosis? Sometimes it's only yeah, go back, reduce the light, give another food, and that's it. Sometimes is that the best way. Sometimes it's necessary to dose the sink. Sometimes not. Sometimes bacteria. Sometimes not. Every tank is individually. We cannot do that uh, uh, to have a recipe for every reef tank. That's impossible. It's not. So that's what the advisors are for, to help, help you kind of uh, troubleshoot what you should be doing in terms of... Uh... Uh, Absolutely, right. yes. And we, and we teach them that they can teach more people because we alone, we have not the possibility to do that with 300 people a day. Yeah. That's... We have not that much glass bowls, you know. That's, they, they are quite expensive nowadays. So, um, getting, a, getting some nice comments here. Joe uh, Muscat. Hey, Joe, love this guy. Ghouls, I wish I could hit the like button 100 times. What an awesome stream. <laughs> You can do that, I think. So you, you can, to, yeah. If you got like a, like a hundred different devices, though, I think, right? Or can you just? I think if you hit the like button more than once, you unlike. I, you know, it's a, I'm hundred percent sure there's an app available <laughs> in whatever that you can do that. <laughs> this is not my job. This electronic they're, stuff. They're called they're bots, awesome. right? Aren't they called bots or something like that? That. Uh, uh, so Andy is asking again um, another question. Can you get all the trace elements available in U.S.? So there is a fauna marine. Fauna Marine in uh, the U.S., right? There's a place uh, yes. in the U.S. that you can um, get all the um, stuff you need. 
Yes, we have. Uh, we will be distributed by CoreView. Right. And they have many several stores. I think in Top Shelf and then all these other some which are known, but they have way more that I know. And uh, yes, this is available in the U.S. A saltwater aquarium has carry also the line, which I know, but I know there are also several. So contact the core view and uh, or write us an email, then we, we will forward it that you can find it. That's not a problem. Uh, so, Claude, you want to talk about the forecast? Yeah, um, something really new, which we have now since May, is the forecast based on the ICP. So the sense behind this Due to the due to the trend analysis of several ICP tests, and we can show then if some parameters going down and up, uh, if it going up, we can say in front. So weeks before, if you get dinoflagellates, if you get cyanos, if you get hair arches or parasitic problems or RTN and STN. And if you like, you can publish the sheet with uh, forecast uh, one, two, or three. It doesn't matter. We yep, can start with everyone. Uh, so then now I must look which one it is. That is then the ah, Cyanos. Okay, exactly. So the sense behind this that reason for bacteria is mainly the first reason is a chemical imbalance, not automatically a nutrient imbalance. That's just one the part of it. But mostly is uh, a different relation between different parameters which having some biological effect on a reef tank. If they are not never there, cyanos will adding by nature to creating biomass. So at the end, you when you have cyanobacteria, it's good. Because the tank try to clean themselves if they get nutrients back to biomass, producing oxygen, and then the cyanos will release over the time. For us, it's bad. I understand it. So if you go now to the to the forecast, you can see it that some levels in this specific one, it they they turn down. So the first one, iodine, going to the five grams, the fluoride level is low. The nitrate is low and the bromide goes down. If this happens, you have, I can say, 99% you will have cyanobacteria. Oh. Definitely. If that relation is coming. There's another relation which is on top there. And that you see in uh, the situation here, the nitrate-phosphate relation. That's what I mean with the 1 to 100. Yeah. You can have 1 to 50... That's not a problem if iodine, fluoride, and bromine are in line. When you say, you when, when, have, when you say in line, when, uh, what are you saying in terms of being in line? In line means on the parameter, on the green level, where they have to be. Okay. Means uh, iodine, a sample between 005 to 008. Okay. This is the perfect line for iodine. So... On fluoride is between 1.3 to 1.5. Gotcha. The perfect one. It it is okay if it's still on 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 fluoride, which is still on 1.0. It's still okay. It does not mean it happens automatically. If it's on the border and you add, let me say, too much amino acids or too much vitamins, then it can cause the cyanobacteria. If you bring the chemical parameters back, they will go. But if 
are the levels down or there's a disrelation, they come automatically if you dose uh, uh, cyan, uh, if you dose then amino acids or specific products, they just decide only if they come less and more. So not, can not. so can any one of those three be uh, out of the green to cause cyano? Not one. Oh. Mostly one. Mostly one is not a problem, but two and three, then it starts. Then it starts. Okay, and and that's assuming the nitrate and the phosphate is at the hundred to one. Yeah. Gotcha. That's the perfect one. If you want to 80, it's also okay. It depends also a little bit on the type of tests you use because some is a bit better than the other ones. It's in direction. So um, when we talk about that things is um, how you understand an element like fluoride, example. Do you understand it as an element which, which have a function? Only one or several, or how you understand this this type of different levels? So, what do iodine, what do fluoride, what do bromine? How you understand this for you? <coughs> uh, oh, in terms of the relation between the uh, those elements? No, no, only the single element. The single element. Are you asking yeah. me? Yeah. yeah, I ask you. What's the question? The question is how you understand the, the 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 sense or the work of an of a specific element like fluoride. Oh, I don't have a lot of understanding of it. That's for sure. Okay. I would need to be educated there, Claude. Um, I was a little bit the question for me how how you understand it because there's a one there's one thinking about you know what we breathe the air you know the chemical composition you know that. Of what? Of our air, what we breathe. Oxygen, yeah. And nitrogen, yeah. right? Yeah. So my question this is, is a, now. You're quizzing me, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you, so, it's like one, 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 2 o'clock in the morning there, and you're quizzing me. I can tell you that I can do that the whole night. <laughs> so it's not a problem. So, no, let me, let me ask you one thing, because this, this shows what is the, what, why this is so important. The nitrogen in our air, did we need it? What do you think? Did we need the nitrogen in our air? Or did we need the oxygen? What we need? I guess we need both. Why? What do nitrogen? Well, now you're getting you're you're getting in in real depth ke chemistry questions there. I mean, um... oh, that's quite important because uh, you need it all the time. Stop the breeze, then you know how important it is. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so you say we need the nitrogen. Well, you mentioned that we, that's part of the air, so I'm going to say yeah. The most people say no. Because they focus on the oxygen, what we need biologically. <laughs> but we need the nitrogen because it prevents us from burning. It prevents the reaction from the oxygen. So that's why we need the nitrogen. When we have no nitrogen, we have 100% oxygen, so the, the world will be burning. And many of these elements in the reef tank, like fluoride, they preventing bacteria and algae for also to prevent us against bacteria work, not only for coloration for corals. You, you broke and that's up, why you, you need them. And then they, I was gonna say you just I'm broke up. Here? You just broke up there a little bit, uh, Claude. Oh, okay, the fluoride and bromine and iodine, these halogens, they have a little bit the same effect like the nitrogen for us in the air. They prevent 
a too, they, they stop a too strong growing from bacteria or algaes, these halogens. And that's the reason why they are helping in the reef tank that algaes and bacteria are growing too much. That's like the nitrogen helps us for the reaction of the oxygen. We need the oxygen, but not 100%. This will kill us. And the fluoride will, will stop bacteria and algae growth. Uh, to, to, um, to protect them for the effect of the oxygen which are creating to do the photosynthesis and the acids inside. So these elements are protecting and that's why they are so important. And that's gotcha. why I say all the time, the fluoride is one of the most important elements in the reef tank because it stabilizes, it protects, and it helps in all the enzymatic processes which corals need to grow. That's why we need to detect it. How, um, how often do you see a reef tank deficient in fluorine? It's deadly. Meaning like how, how, how often is, uh, when people put in their uh, tests, how often is it, uh, you know, not in the green zone? Is it, um, the most people, um, you know, need to supplement with the fluorine based on what you're saying? Hmm. Um, I would say fluorine and iodine in Germany around, we are on 65 to 70% meanwhile online. So that they are on top on this level, they they should have people which have problems in the reef tank. They are zero percent, which is perfect. There's no one. I I know only one reef tank which are so which has full of problems, and uh, the ICP was perfect like as a which I never see before. So I don't know if it's real or not. That's the only one which I have no idea why this happens. One, but all others you see immediately on the ICP why they have dinoflagellates, why they have cyanobacteria. You need only seconds if you know where you look and in which relations you look for. So it, it sounds like a lot of, um, you know, I mean, the, you know, the thinking always is if you got cyano, <clears throat> you got to keep those nutrients in check. You got to like, uh, you, you've probably got elevated phosphates and nitrates. So you've got to do a lot of water changes. You got to, um, you know, reduce the nitrates and phosphates, um, siphon out the detritus and, and all that stuff. But it, it's a whole nother you know, element that you're throwing in there in terms of looking at those, you know, specific elements that you talked about and mentioned that if they were out of whack, that that's something that could be a signal to, um, you know, down the line that you might have cyano if you don't already have it. Yes. And it's, it is, it, and it is really not, not so difficult. There, there are only two problems on it. The one problem is that it is not that easy. It is more easy to say, put this bottle in the, in the tank. And then you put a chemical in the tank and the problem is solved. Then the people say, hey, this, um, this medicine helps me. So if you use antibiotics against cyanobacteria, this will work. This is not a problem. The long time effect on it, that's a different thing. Right. But at the moment, my problem is solved for 14 bucks. So to put an ICP to send it out, to take care of it, to look on the elements, to start to understand it, to read it, make definitely more work. Um, I can fully understand why people want to have a bottle. There, there is also marketing there. You know, if the people are buying adsorbers, buying salts, stuff which we sell and where we live for that, that's, that, that's sure that we also want that they buy the things. But my opinion is, 
I want that they buy a good salt and not a lot of bad salt to make a lot of water change, which has no sense in this case. And for me, it's more important they buy they buy an ICP, they search an advisor, and they bring the tanks on a good level, because this is the better marketing for a long time for our company, as to have a product uh, to use like DinoX or RedX. So that's why we do in, uh, in, um, in our manuals, we write first check, first make a diagnosis, first check the water, change this. And when everything not helps and you have a very aggressive form of dinoflagellates, then use DinoX before everything's, everything died. This is only there to, to get time to do the diagnosis and to do the changes. For that, we do DinoX, but not as an aspirin to use it all the time. And we write that, especially in the manual, don't use it. Use it latest at the, at the last possibility before you all everything died, because it's a very strong uh, product. And we have to do it on that way or it will not work. Yeah, because there was uh, there's been a couple of comments in the chat. One producer reef, I see mixed feelings with DinoX. What's the best way to use it? I think you just answered that question. To use it, not <laughs> the best way is not to use it. The best way do an ICP, uh, check your water, uh, reduce your light. Uh, dino dinoflagellates are in light issue. This is not an issue about uh, times a little. That's mostly a light issue and that the coral has not the possibility to work with that amount of light. So she put she puts then the succentels out and a part of these succentels getting into the bottom, they find their depots full of elements, full of phosphate, and this is then what they use to grow up. And that's how your dinoflagellates. We have different type of succentels and corals. Sometimes we have dinoflagellates, which we get with rocks and with stuff inside, but we give them the environmental that they can grow. So the best way is not to do that in front, the first thing. And the second thing is then to make an ICP, to have an advisor or to get the experience how to deal with that and uh, bring the levels down. And then, your, your dino, then you will not have any dinoflagellates. Definitely not. Uh, what about what are your thoughts in terms of uh, there's been some some um, folks out there uh, I think um, we've talked about this in the show dosing iron to get rid of uh, dinoflagellates what uh, what are your thoughts in terms of uh, dosing iron to get rid of uh, dinos is is iron in uh, DinoX? No, there's no iodine in I I did not understand it dosing iodine or dosing iron iron. That's a bad idea. <laughs> iron is fuel for dinos in this case this is fuel so it, then those iron and, and start new that's the best way to get rid of, of a dinoflagellate stand because it makes boom no no iron is not a good idea in this case absolutely not um i guess the other thing is that there's just so many different types of dinos out there right and um there's different ways to uh, approach the uh problem depending on what you have uh yes um on that what is actually talked about. But when you look on the chemistry side, you can see it that's mainly the same. There are only different types of succentels which can release from different types of cords. And they are some of them are hard, very hard to get rid of because they can produce cysts. Others are very, are very easy, you need only UVC. 
as long as you don't change your chemistry. And the real reason why corals died or there are issues with, uh, with DinoX is the point that the corals are suffered over months without iodine, without fluorine, and this is deadly. There is there's one ICP on the market which still say today that iodine is not important. And I cannot understand this. My, my understanding is that these guys never work with corals, really, like a coral farmer, because then they know it, that's impossible. And uh, to say to people today that 0.3, the half of iodine is healthy, it does not matter. What happens if we take the half of that, what we need as humans? We get ill. We, we are dying on that when we don't do that. The half of vitamins, the half of, of iodine, what we need, and nothing works in our body. Why the coral should work with that? The corals don't lie. That's that no, they is, don't lie. They don't lie. Um, what about uh, you? Know, you mentioned uh, dry rock, and I think I saw a comment in in the in the chat here about starting a tank with uh, with dry rock. That seems to be a, there. Seems to always be a lot more uh, um, likelihood that you're going to get dinos if you start a dry rock only tank. Is that a fallacy? You think is it more about the traces and the uh, the elements in terms of them being in line to avoid dinos? It is, it, is, um, it is a difference if you have some dinos growth at the beginning. This is not a problem at all. So in these cases, you look that you get animals in and then you get a little bit nutrients in and then they will go away. So starting dinos is a complete different thing as if you have it later, let me say, after one year, one and a half years. Um, there are some some products and uh, products or salts on the market which are not well balanced, which can cause this. If you have if you have a good product and there, are, I know immediately ten companies which which giving great products out, and uh, when you start with that, you will not usually have these issues. What is really important to know: dinoflagellates is a light issue. The power of light is too way too strong for that nutrients and elements which is in the tank that they can work with. That's the same you put a plant in summer out in the sun. She has no possibility to survive that. Right. So, and that's the point. If they start slowly with the light, because there's no lot of animals inside, and they take care that the tank will be stocked with an amount of corals, and not only five sticks on, a, on 100 gallons, um, then they will not have the problem. You know, this is one of the problems what we have today. 20 years ago, the people buying a reef tank, a small skimmer, and two tunze pumps. And then they put the tank full of cords. You have about 20 pounds of biomass in the reef tank. Today, sometimes I have the feeling people buying the tank to have a computer, to have an alibi for lights, to have an alibi for technology, for whatever they, they buy, and then they have no more money for the cords. And then they put five sticks and they're blaming then all the technology that the sticks don't grow. And they don't understand that they have to they have to make the tank full. Yeah. Why starting with a few hundred bucks expensive sticks? Buy big colonies from another guy who stop, who have two big ones, make the tank full, and then change it after time and time and creating your little reef like you wanted over the time. That's like fresh water you find creating a plant aquarium today and putting five pieces of Wallisneria inside and then waiting two years till it grows up. They will not do that. They make it full. That's very simple. This is not so complicated. It's, that's a pretty uh, sound logic. Um, 
A couple of uh, other quick questions, Claude. And then uh, I think we're going to let you go to sleep because it's it's freaking 2.30 in the morning there. Are you up for the That's day? So Are you up for the day? Is that... <laughs> I, I had two coffees now. I'm I can speak five hours long. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Everything's good. How long you want? We can do that. Uh, well, I'm gonna be respectful of your time. So, uh, Chris at ACI, does Claude still use metal halides? You still use metal halides? No. No. LEDs. No. We have LEDs now. Yeah. But metal halides was so great light. I still use some metal halides on one of my systems. Oh. I know Chris does uh, has a lot of metal halides. It's, uh, you know, heat-wise, it's not an issue for but me. But, you know, we have to pay actually 40 cents for a kilowatt hour. So metal halides are a little bit very expensive Pricey. now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, Joe Muscat asked a question about um, acro-eating flatworm, AEFWX, your product. And um, he wanted you to kind of speak to the effectiveness of that product. So, you know, that's that's always a, a, a thing that uh, everybody in reef keeping is hoping there will be a silver bullet at one point in time. But um, talk to us about that uh, product briefly. <laughs> You're taking your glasses uh, off and rubbing your eyes now. <laughs> Every producer searching searching for this. Um, this How do you kill those eggs? Right? That's the whole thing. You win in the lottery. If you have that product, then you you don't never need to, to work, definitely. <laughs> Um, it, it, it seems definitely not, uh, too easy to kill, to, to kill that, uh, type of, uh, worms and, um, how more I work with them, how more I'm fascinated on them, what for great animals these are. And if, even if we make an atomic war, believe me, they will survive. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> we have chemicals. We have definitely chemicals uh, where I know that they have an effect on eggs and which can kill the worms, definitely. Yep. The problem, there are two, two big problems. The first one is that all these chemicals or medicines are forbidden for sale and cannot be used. And it's uh, in Europe, it's really a strict law. So that's the same like you sell drugs. So um, nobody will do that when he don't want to have really, really big trouble. That's the one thing. The second thing is that this product sometimes works only one time. If there's one egg and one worm who survived that, the next uh, generation, they don't care about the product. They are so fast to creating antitoxins inside mm. um, because they have to deal with this very complicated toxin of corals. That's the same like with bugs. They know and they can producing within of, uh, of very less hours antitoxins uh, for that what we add in the reef tank. Well, And that's our problem what we have. So we have this, these toxins, but then we kill the corals too. And they are stronger than the corals. So what we, what we can do, we can try with IFAX blocks the metabolism inside that. And if you do at the same time the right water parameters, the core is getting strong enough to get them away with some helps. In most cases, it helps. But it will not help if you have, like I say, extremely low levels so that the corals cannot create um, antiparasitic components. And IFEX helped them to create this product and strengthens the bacteria's on the corals that they fight against the worms. So the amount of worms go down, and so you can control them. 
Um, the, the problem is, is also that the Acropora flatworms, they like bacteria products. So if you dose bacterias, they like it. So they grow faster. If you dose amino acids, they grow faster. And everybody does that to say, I have to help the core, but not with amino acids and not with bacteria products. In this case, you need something completely different. And this, diff, this, this organic compounds, this is that what is in in, in, in FAX, but it's not the golden bullet, what, right. not yet. We, we work on that and we go every year, we have a little step, but um, actually I must say, uh, we are far away of that silver bullet like we are far away from the, uh, uh, from the moon. <laughs> so, uh, it's amazing, we'll just amazing that one little pest can cause such uh, problems. Uh, that's that that animals they sucks really they costs me they cost me really a lot of money and I hate them but on the <laughs> other side they're so fascinated and we must also say we don't talk about one species we talk definitely mm. about several species of Acropora eating worms yeah and some of them are specific on one species they don't go to the other ones they die if you put them on on other Acroporas. I'm I'm hundred percent sure the scientific guys they say one two maybe, but we have a lot of different type of pests. So uh, even if Acropora flatworm die, believe me, the next will come. Scary stuff, you know. Really is it um, definitely is uh, something that is you know if you get an infestation, it um, it's a very tough thing to uh, to get rid of, and and uh, I don't know, I don't see anything other than being able to pull colonies out, frag them get rid of the bases, do weekly dips. I mean, that's kind of a, um, you know, or it's just level. No, 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 don't do the dips. If you do the dips, you can do a dip one time, but not several times. The dips are a problem for the core. You, 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 you don't make them stronger. Don't dip it. You know, these small bottles where you can squeeze water. Yeah. So put it out, squeeze the water over it, and flush the worms away. Scratch the eggs, put the coral back. You don't need to. You don't definitely don't need to dip it. If the corals dry a little bit out, a little bit, shake it in the air. You can see the worms very easily because the worms are still shining, and the corals getting a little bit uh, um, no more glowing. And then you can see the worms do that times and they are rid of no problem yeah they're very easy yeah no up, and up, up, if up. you use fishes like uh, atenia yeah it goes it goes really good and then help them a little bit with some stuff and then it works mostly right up, but don't dip them too much i've heard uh, i've heard people taking like hoses into tanks and you know with fresh water and just blasting the uh the coral that way <laughs> i you know what are you going to do if it's like encrusted on the rock you can't take it out but uh, I guess if you yeah. put a stream of like uh, RODI water on it, then that'll kind of flush the worms off. If you got fish in the tank, they'd eat the worms, and that could potentially help. We we flush them with a pump very easily. We put the pump in a PVC pipe, make it flat, and then we push and push them away. And after two three weeks, they're gone. Yeah, yeah. But we don't dip them because too much dipping is uh, too much dipping. Even when you use the oils. They, the, the oils are very aggressive to the skin and they destroy the bacteria on the surface of the corals and then they have no more microbiome and that's the same for the core. In my meaning, meanwhile, it's the same like you have issues with your bacteria in your stomach and then you know that you have a very bad day. 
and that seems the same for the core. So we dip them never with the oils, only with uh, other things meanwhile, and one, two times, and then the rest we flash it or we clean it, and that's it. And I do the chop the cords. Blue Reef says water picks. That's probably a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Claude. Well, listen, man. I'm gonna let you. Uh, I'm gonna let you go, given the time of uh, morning it is there, and and uh, you've been uh, awesome to uh, to to uh, be on the show uh, in the wee hours of the morning there on Friday in Germany. I really appreciate it. Any any final words before we uh, sign off? I was very happy for the in- invitation. It was uh, it was really great. It's my first life in the U.S. Really? So, I thought you've um, been doing lives in the U.S. No, in Germany, everything, but not in the U.S. Oh. till now. So I was very happy for the invitation, a possibility to explain a little bit what we do. And, um, yeah, I'm I'm back soon in the U.S., I think in February, and then maybe we'll come to Vermont. Cause that seems oh, man, to be you the... should definitely come to Vermont. I'd love to have you. I will. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a lot of snow, though, i got to warn you. You're used to that. Yeah, that's good. But you know, I come from Switzerland, so I can oh, ski. There you so go. So we can go skiing. I'll, so take, that's I'll take a skiing for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So. All right, Claude. Well, uh, listen, thank you again, man. I really appreciate it. Love to have you back on um, in the uh, in down the road again. Um, I also, also want to thank both Folk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine for sponsoring the live stream and all you folks out there for tuning in. We saw some uh, real good dialogue and, and um, folks in the, uh, the chat there. Thank you, thank you, thank you. also want to thank Paul, who... Uh, is the moderator as well as the president of the Boston Reefer Society. Please join and support your local reefing clubs. They are so important to this hobby. I also want to let you folks know that all episodes of Rapping with Reef Bum are available as podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Amazon. My next Rapping with Reef Bum live stream will be next Thursday, December 22nd at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Chris Meckley from ACI Agriculture. My buddy Chris will be back on, so that should be another great show. If you want to check out the full upcoming schedule of guests, we've got some really awesome guests after Chris coming on. Go to reefbum.com and visit the YouTube section. So until then, be safe and be well, and we will see you next time. Great show. Thanks a lot.